Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good morning and welcome to this session on resentment, surrender, and recovery. Um, We are live streaming. My name is Bob H. and I am a recovering sexaholic. I'll be facilitating the session and I'm joined by... I'm Paul Z. from Atlanta. Okay. Okay. Each of us will share our recovery on this topic, and then we'll take time to answer questions. Questions will be taken uh, in an ask-it-basket style, and we don't have an actual basket. So someone, I think, was passing around cards. We have more cards and pens up here, so if you you come up with a question, feel free to just get up out of your seat if you don't already have a card and come up here and write it on a card, and you can leave it here, like on this side of the table for us. And then as we get into the questions, we'll take from that that stack of questions. Um, <clears throat> if you wish to participate, yeah, like I said, write it on the card and, and put it on the table. So in the spirit of the fifth tradition, to carry the message, this is a recorded session. The recording equipment will not be turned off during the session. We ask that you please silence all your cell phones. Uh, Further, this meeting is being live-streamed, audio-only, over the World Wide Web. If you do not wish to participate in the live stream, you are welcome to remain silent. If you choose to share, we ask that you sit in the designated chair in front of the microphone, um, or I will restate your question, however we work it. Please do not touch the microphone or any of the audio equipment. Um, So... To open, uh, let us start with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will not mine be done. Um, Again, the essay purpose, um, Sexaholics Anonymous, is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other, that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others achieve sexual sobriety. Um, so what we'll do is is I'll begin here. Um, they've asked us to speak um, first, and then we'll go ahead and I'll pass it off to Paul, and he can share. So 
Um, in this whole conversation about um, resentment, surrender, inventory, and recovery, um, I, I gave this a, a fair amount of thought and drawback. Um, just a, a little bit about me. I, I began um, SA in 98, um, and by that point I had... Um, I had, through self-delusion and and trying to run my own life my own way, um, I had gotten to a point where I was practically spiritually dead. Most of the things I was doing were lust-based. Everything I was doing um, had a had a purpose and a, an express-driven need uh, based out of lust, um, and I was desperate um, and. Even at that, it took me a full two years of being in the program, and I came to meetings every week. Um, I knew there was a solution there. I felt like I was at home, but I was a I was a chronic masturbator. I was abusing and using the computer for porn and everything else, and and I was you know there was just all kinds of uh, extracurricular activities. I had not been arrested. Um, but I would pursue women, and, and it was just, it was completely out of control. And, and about that point in time, my first child was about to be born. And I thought, okay, well, we're going to give this up now. Well, that teed me up for my biggest bender. And, and at, after that, that's when it really came settling home that, you know, I just gave this my best shot, and I just had my worst experience. So do the math, Bob, that, you know, <laughs> you better get yourself some help. So, but even at that, I tried to do help on my own terms, and and after a couple of years of of uh, you know that not working, uh, <laughs> I finally uh, agreed uh, to accept sponsorship, and and through that process, um, probably the most important part of it. Um, let me say this: the most the most transformational part. Um, for me, in my experience, because um, of the way I had been raised in, in a religious uh, pursuit, is that I already knew about a God. I just wasn't using Him. I was I was standing in for Him, and it really didn't work. Um, like completely didn't work. So I had was uh, I was able to put back together one and two and 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 three. But four was transformational because when I sat down to do step four as a tele, as a telesertive A type um, personality, um, I had six pages of people who I and things that I resented, and was certain that when it came time for step five, that this was going to be all about sitting down with my sponsor and figuring out what we're going to do about all these things. See, because it's uh, you know that's time to get this behind us, right? Or something. I, I I missed the point fundamentally, and uh, so throughout the process, gratefully, I had a sponsor who was a good match for me, and he was more than willing to confront me on my own terms, which was what I absolutely needed. It was a blessing. And he said, "Bob, Bob, Bob, hang on. You're right. You're right. You're exactly right. But you're dead. You're right. But you're dead. That was t- ten years ago. You're right. But you're dead." Out of everyone involved, Bob, in that resentment, who do you think is still thinking about it? I bet it's only you. When's it enough? When's it enough? And what do we do about this? And, he, and then he dropped the bomb. 
It was a bomb for me. I had never occurred. This, this train of thought had never even entered my mind. He said to me, so what was your role in it? You know, when I'm fully immersed in my addiction, I am a self-absorbed, self-centered mess. I'm delusionally self-absorbed. Of course I never thought of that. I don't talk about my role in anything. Well, I had a role in it. And we started looking at these other things. And he says, Bob, you know, I'm never going to minimize the mistakes that these people made. That's not what this is about, Bob. I want you to think about when's it enough? And did they make mistakes because they're human too, just like you? And and did they maybe make some bad choices? And maybe did they even make bad choices out of an illness that they might have also? A spiritual malady not different terribly than what you're dealing with? How about do we do so a little bit of forgiving here? Would you like them to forgive you? And this is all new to me. And it was kind of surprising that it was new to me, especially being much time as I've spent in a faith tradition. You'd think I'd have had that figured out. But oh no, I was too busy being self-absorbed. So it was a really big turning point. I recall leaving after six hours with my sponsor, walking down the sidewalk, staring the world straight ahead, feeling physically lighter on my on my shoulders. But for the weight, that had been lifted. I had never known that. But if we do the work, God will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Am I right? I want you to think about that. So it requires a great deal of wisdom from a sponsor, I think. Um, And it's experiential wisdom. It's not the sort you need to go to school for. Um, for me, um, resentment, surrender, and inventory. I just want to read you a little bit about resentment that I found on the web. I want to go through these. I decided, you know, let's look it up. You know, it's good to go back to basics, right? It's a noun. Uh, I personally turned it into an emotional verb. Um, because <laughs> I would do resentment stew. You know, I, there's a guy, Scott Redmond, God rest his soul, he was a circuit speaker in AA, and he used to refer to it as resentment stew. He said, I put all this stuff in the crock pot, and I'd turn it on, and I'd leave it for like months. You know, and it's like, oh yeah, oh, I forgot. That's the guy. He's the one. I really hate him. Oh my God. And he says, I would go over it and over it and over it. He says, I used to just loathe with that stuff. It was amazing. He says, but it's resentment stew. So anyway, that's how I would turn, I would do what he did, you know, and I'd turn it into an emotional verb. But it's called bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly. Oh my God, here we go. Um, off of vocabulary.com, it says resentment or the strong and painful bitterness you feel when someone does something wrong to you. It doesn't have actual physical weight, but it feels very heavy. I almost beg to differ, but yes, okay, I'm I'm reading their stuff. And it can last a really long time. Forgiveness is one way to get rid of resentment. Sometimes resentment lasts for years. A life filled with resentment is fatal for me. It's outlined in the big book of AA. And uh, 
Wikipedia says it's worth noting that resentment can also develop and be maintained by focusing on past grievances, uh, disturbing memories, or hurtful experiences continuously. Oh, yeah, that's what I was doing. Resentment is also fueled by trying to justify the emotion with additional thoughts or feelings. Resentment can occur as a result of the grief process and can be sustained by ruminating. There's that word ruminating. I used to do that a lot. Yeah, ruminate. Yeah, ruminates me sitting around thinking about stuff in meetings. I'm not even paying attention to what I should be listening to. You know, I'm, I'm ruminating. Resentment as a form of distrust has a strong component of self-punishment. The false appeal of self-punishment is that it seems to keep us safe from future hurt or disappointment. In reality, it is hurting the resenter more and is demonstrated in how we mistreat or distrust others unrelated to the offense. So what that tells me is that if I do this life of resentment, and I take this resentment hobby up like I was doing, is it begins to poison me. Um, it's fatal, according to the AA Big Book. A life filled with resentment. Well, it, resentment is our number one offender. It will kill us. Because it will drive us to the things that make us either drink or lust or what have you. And further, it could drive us into the kind of type of moods and actions that lead us to a, a, a dreadful, violent death even. So this, 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 this item of, of, of resentment is infinitely grave. So my sponsor said to me, look, Bob, this is, this is what I want you to do. In page 64 in the big book, it outlines, um, let me see if I've got it right here. Give me a second. I had to take my big book and get it surlocked. It was falling apart. Um, so it outlines it's the only part in the big book text where you'll see it goes into a three column that's just how important it was for him to get this down he says I want you to write across the top I'm resentful at and then next to that I want you to say the cause and then it says it affects my and he says leave room on the right but don't put anything over there we'll do that later and he says I want you to go down through this and, and, and all I want you to do at first is write the list. Who was it? I'm resentful at, and then list them. I don't want you to get into it. Don't, you know, he says, I want you to resist the temptation to write it down. Don't, if you, if you're tempted to write it down, believe me, you're going to remember it when you come back to this, this name. Just get the names down. Who was it? What did, and, and we'll worry about what did they do in a minute. And, and he says, get that inventory listed, you know, persons, institutions, what have you. And then after that, you know, call me. And then we're going to talk a little bit. And then he says, for the cause, he says, I don't want a novel. He says, I want a punch list. We're doing an executive summary here. This is going to take days if you write me a novel. Well, of course, he knew me. It was going to be more than a novel. But anyway, and he says, then get that down. What did they do? Just give me like the punch list. This shouldn't be any more than a couple pages, even if there's a lot of people. And then thirdly, we're going to go back again. And then you're going to talk to me after about having done that. Um, how it affects you. And, and I want you to go by the guidelines in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous where it says it affects my sex relations, self-esteem, fear, self-esteem, um, security, which is a fear thing, and then self-esteem, um, uh, 
um, pride. He says, so the fear in brackets is what we're going to worry about on the other side because that's what they're alluding to is the fear of inventory. So I did all that, and I went and saw him. And then we talked about how fear drives me because I wanted to convince myself I wasn't really scared when I was really driven by a thousand forms of fear. And you want to talk about denial. That was some serious denial on my part. So from an inventory standpoint, um, the, the inventory is the one thing in my life that was simple and not easy. You see, recovery for me is simple because it's laid out for us. It's just not easy. And by the time I got to this step, you have to understand, I'm basing this on having decided myself that my own guidance was, at the very least, extremely flawed. And that I was I had made a personal decision back at step two and three that I was no longer going to take my own advice. And that guy was that guy that guy was was really misguiding me. That's a cornerstone foundation for this, guys and gals. If you don't come into step four and five wholly and completely disappointed in your own advice about how you should do anything. If you don't come into four and five, letting a sponsor guide your life and doing what that person asks you to do the way they ask you to do it, you're going to be doing this. You're going to be you're going to be you're going to be having a hard time with this because you if you go into this process and, and, and this is out of my experience, okay? If I had gone into step four and five with this attitude that, okay, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to kind of add in my other little two cents worth, I would have really gone a long way to defeat the purpose because I would have invited back that self-delusional poison into the very process that was trying to change and improve me. And that would have been dreadful. And until I had gotten to a point where I was literally taking my sponsor's instructions and doing them the way that person wanted me to do it um, I wasn't going to have the kind of gift that step four and five can give and so for, if you're like me and you're really um, kind of a um, self-driven I want to invite you to look at this idea of being um, willing maybe a little differently so what I did and again this is what was going to work at that time as I agreed to myself I said alright we're going to do this exactly like this guy says. And that way, when it doesn't work, I'm going to go back to him. I'll say, look, I did this just like you said. <laughs> so thank God for a couple of million alcoholics, many of which have worked the 12 steps, all of which have gotten and stayed sober because that was what I was going against on my odds. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> So anyway... I did it just like he said him. By God, it worked. Um, so this whole notion of forgiveness, this whole notion of surrender is what I'm kind of talking about. I had surrendered my will actually over first to my sponsor. I mean, I, of course, I had a higher power and I was considering that. But 
in letting him live my run my life, I would call him about everything. And for me, that's an act of me surrendering my life over to um, my sponsor. So in the process of, of working through this step, um, like I said, I sat down with him and, and we arduously went through all of this. And it says it in my definition here that it isn't often physical, but I can tell you that, yes, it definitely, first term is emotional healing. But my emotional healing that I felt was so profound in having completed a step five with this man that it really felt physical. And and that is, you know, there's magic moments in recovery if you'll do the work. There isn't any magic moments in recovery if you aren't going to do the work. If you aren't doing the work, you know, don't diss recovery. Okay? Don't sit around and say, oh, it doesn't work. Recovery works. If you don't think it works, I want you to I want to invite you to take a strong look at what you're doing. I want you to invite you to ask yourself, have I really surrendered to this process? I want to invite you to think about what is my attitude about recovery. And if you see any flaws in those three questions, I want you to get square with your sponsor. And I'm going to invite you to give it another run. And I'm a garden variety sex addict. Not been arrested. I'm the first time I took the test, I was 16 out of 20. The second time I thought, you know, I'm almost 19 out of 20, really. After a little time in recovery. I've seen some guys who were a danger to society. I sponsored a man, I told him, I says, You're not to touch her. You you need to you'll be in jail. And I'm not asking you not to touch her even so much as for her own safety, that's important, but I'm asking you to stay out of jail so I can continue to work with you. And that guy today is one of the kindest, loving, most happy-go-lucky dudes you'd ever want to meet in your life. He could still crush your hand with his hand because he's that strong, but he's just not a danger to society anymore. I can't do that. Nobody I know in recovery can make a transformation like that with a guy. We don't have magic wands around here. God did that. And the only reason God did that for that guy was because he stopped himself and said, this is just not working at all, and I just don't have anything else. I'm going to do what these guys want me to do. And he did it. And by God, it worked. And I've got another 10 of them I could tell you about that I've sponsored since 1998. The saddest part of my time in recovery is that out of those 10 guys, I've got a, probably 100 more that I either allegedly sponsor or I'll never see again. It almost kind of haunts me. I don't let it because it's not, you know, I don't have much involvement. This is between them and God. So I surrender it to God. I hope they found what they need. I don't know if they did. Some of them are dead. This thing wants everything you've got. It's drop dead serious about you. If you have an addiction to 
sex and lust the way I do, what I discovered in the process of recovery is it's coming for you. It wants your freedom. It wants your family. It wants everything that's important to you. <coughs> You're sitting in a meeting. It's out in the parking lot doing one-arm push-ups. It's, gonna, it's coming for you. I invite you to take this as seriously as your problem is taking you. And everybody told me, Bob, we don't care what you think about how serious your problem is. <coughs> your problem would like you to not think it's very serious. <coughs> Honestly, my problem is very serious. So I took a very serious dose of recovery. And I'm grateful. So with that, I'm going to pass and let Paul talk. Good morning. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm a sexaholic. Can, can, is the microphone picking me up? The broadcast? I've been a sexaholic all my life. I didn't know I was a sexaholic, but even from childhood, pre-puberty, I was a, a sexaholic. Uh, I had events happen to me that I didn't really know what was going on. I, I was never molested, uh, but I had events happen to me, and now I know that that was the beginning. I don't know why I became a sexaholic, I think maybe I was pre-programmed to be some sort of addict, and sex just happened to be it. But um, I was, and um, it slowly evolved over time as this addiction does evolve. It started slowly and a little, literal, little bit at a time, uh, masturbation, looking at uh, pornography in those days it was magazines um, and it just progressed from there uh, and so I began my journey of living a double life there was two Pauls there was the Paul that everyone knew the businessman the churchman the uh, family man and then there was that other Paul the guy was uh, sneaking off, looking at pornography, masturbating, and acting out. So I really lived a double life for a long time. Um, when I got married, I thought, this is going to be the solution to all my problems, that this is going to fix me. And of course, as you all know, it didn't fix me at all. It, it uh, was just another another step. So... I continued on in my uh, lusting and acting out, and uh, it, it got worse and worse. I did more and more things, you know, the old statement, I'll never do that again, or I, I, I would never cross that boundary. Well, as you all know, and in my case, I, I crossed all the boundaries. I, I just It was just one step at a time, but I, I just crossed the line every time. Uh, and uh, sometimes I threw caution to the wind, which is crazy, but that's what happened. But I was very lucky. Uh, I didn't get caught. I, or I didn't get arrested. I could have. I, I was in situations that I could have, but 
I did not. So I, I, I was uh, religious, and uh, I, you know, was church going, and uh, but I was totally unaware of my problems. But I, I did recognize that there were things that I was doing uh, which were abnormal, and I didn't really understand why I was doing those things. Uh, they were sort of out of the normal range of uh, sexual addiction and sex acting out. But um, I was doing the, and I wondered why I was doing those things. Um, so, in the end, uh, I got caught by my wife uh, cheating on her, and uh, she was uh, devastated, of course, and I was completely uh, thrown into a panic. I had no idea what to do, and um, we worked it out, and we started going to a, uh, a marriage counselor, and at the time, I did not know he was a uh, CSAT, sex addiction therapist, but he, he was. I, our higher power was looking out for us. And uh, at the first meeting, he, he looked at me after a few minutes and he said, you're a sex addict. And I, I, I didn't say anything, but I looked back at him like, are you crazy? There's nothing the matter with me. I, I just do what guys do. And uh, he said, no, 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 you're, you're a sex addict and, and you need to go to SA tonight. And, you know, so I, to, to please my wife, I went to SA. Uh, and I, I walked into the first meeting, and it was like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? They took me aside, and they uh, told me their stories and asked me my story. And they brought me back in the room and said, would you like a silver chip? And I said, well, I guess so. Uh, but, yeah, it was surreal. It was like a dream. I, I had no idea. Um, but I, I started going to meetings, and um, the first meeting I went to was a, a, a large meeting in Atlanta, and I, I just said, oh, my God, look at all these people are crazy. Why am I here? Uh, but a guy came up to me, and he said, listen, I know none of this makes any sense, but just keep coming to meetings Give it 30 days and see if it works for you. So, so that's what I did. And after about 30 days, uh, the, the denial started vanishing, and I began to realize, well, maybe, maybe I do have a problem. So it was lucky for me to find SA, and it was accidental, or, or maybe my higher power uh, guided me to it, but it it was a good thing because I kept wondering, in all this acting out, where does this end? You know, what's, what's the end game in this thing? I, I can't, I'm just, I keep going and I keep doing more and more and more. And what is the ending for this? So anyway, I uh, got in to the program and I got a sponsor and uh, I started working the steps and I got to step four. And as you all know, step four is really a big hurdle. Um, it's, it's hard to, to, to get through it because 
in, in my view, it's the hardest, the hardest thing is to look at myself and understand myself and analyze myself. I, I can analyze you, I can tell you, I can advise you, but when it comes to me, not so much. So anyway, uh, we went through the uh, various um, emotions, uh, inventory, fear, anger, harm, uh, and identified those. So every time I would get a, uh, every time I'd get a lust hit, I would call my sponsor and say, okay, I, I saw this person or I saw this thing and uh, it, it's creating lust. And my sponsor would always say to me, okay, so what's going on with you? What's going on in your life today? And so I would tell him. And it took me a while to learn from him that what was driving my addiction <coughs> was my emotions my emotional state, because he kept saying to me, so what's going on in your life? And I began, I I finally, I'm a slow learner, I finally recognized that it was my emotional state that was driving me to act out. And so in order to control myself, I needed to know what's my emotional state and what's going on inside of me. And that was a breakthrough. And then what to do about it, what action to take, how, how to deal with those emotions. But that was a big breakthrough for me. So uh, this uh, topic is about resentments. Um, so I, I'll, I'll share with you a few resentments that I had, or sometimes still have, uh, and then talk about uh, what I do to address those resentments. Um, I have a, a family member who likes to brag and talk about all the big deals that he's doing and everything that he's doing and how successful he is. And when you first run into him and listen to him, you think, wow, this guy is really fantastic. But after you get to know him, you find out that it's all baloney. And so every time he comes to our house and he starts starts saying all that stuff, um, I get resentful. I'm, I'm resentful to him and I want to, uh, I get angry with him. So that's a resentment that I have to uh, deal with. Another one is I have another family member who is a very needy person. She is constantly coming over asking for this, asking for that. Will you take care of my kids? Will you uh, do this? Will you do that? And it's, it's, she's needy, needy, needy all the time. And so I, I'm resentful to her. And I have to pray for her. Another resentment I have is when my wife uh, criticizes me. I don't like it. I get upset about it. And I get resentful. But I have to stay calm, relax, breathe in God, let out me. 
Um, I have another family member who um, is an what I call an angry man. He is just angry all the time at everything and everybody. And uh, he's... He stays away from the family. He doesn't want to talk to the family. He is just constantly angry. And he has no reason to be angry, but he just is. And and that's the way he is. And again, I get resentful at him, and I, I need to pray for him. Um, another characteristic of me is I don't like to accept blame. Um, I get upset when uh, there is blame and criticism of me. And again, I have to, normally I would, uh, my reaction to that would be an emotional one. I'd either be angry or fearful, and then I would go lust out. I would lust. That was the the typical uh, thing that I did. So now I have to stop. I have to breathe in God, breathe out me, and call my sponsor, call another member, uh, and, and talk about it, and let it go. Let the resentment go. Let God in. Um, so what goes on? What am I doing today? What, what is, uh, how do I handle my life today? And... Uh, the first thing is I have to, every, every day I need to inventory what's gone on in my life and address the emotional issues. I have to recognize what's going on in me, and I have to analyze and understand what's going on in me. And then I need to pray about it, think about it, and I need to take the action, make a phone call, go to a meeting. Um, in, in recovery, for me, I need to recognize the problem and understand the problem. And it's always the same. It's always me. I'm the problem. Uh, I have to pray about it. So uh, before the program, when I prayed to God, it was always, um, God, please do this. God, please do that. It was all, you know, I'll put a quarter in. Uh, you give me a Cupid doll. It was always, uh, I was always asking, God, please get me a parking space. God, uh, please do, do this. So I had to learn in the program that no, no, you don't ask. You listen. Be silent and listen. That was real hard for me. Be silent and listen. I have to recognize my emotions, the situation, and I have to use the tools that the program has given me. I constantly tell my sponsors, sponsees, use the tools the program has given you. It's very simple. It's a very simple program. Um, Go to meetings, pick up that 500-pound telephone, and make the call. Make the call before you fall. Uh, The other thing is, I have to just know that no matter how bad things get for me, this is a a one-day-at-a-time program, and I can't get caught up in the turmoil that may be going on. I need to let it go 
let it go and let God. And, and that's, that's not always easy. Um, the other thing that I have done uh, with the program is volunteer work. And uh, I have gotten into volunteer work, and I'm involved in the uh, CFC uh, program of uh, correspondings with prisoners and helping prisoners. Uh, I have had two sponsees, a prisoner that was released, and uh, interestingly enough, uh, when a prisoner is released, they go through a lot of trauma coming back into the real world. And then I had another member who was going to prison, and I corresponded with him while he was in prison. So I'm doing volunteer work, and that is helpful. Uh, and I'm taking sponsees, uh, and all of that is helpful. I, I tell my sponsees, I said, you know, you, you use this telephone list. I know you don't know the people, most of the people that are on there. But if you call them, they will call you back. I said, I, I was amazed. I'd call some person on that telephone list. I'd never heard of the guy, and he would call me back. And I said to my sponsor, well, why do these people call me back? And he says, because you're helping them as much as they are helping you. So it's all about controlling me and controlling my emotions. And so long as I can control my emotions... I'm good. And so long as I follow the rules of the program, and they're very simple, I'm good. And with that, I pass it back to Bob, and That's great. I guess we ask for some uh, I wanna, questions. Yeah, I want to have I got a little something I want to add here, too. Bob, leave a question online as well. Yeah, please, can you, do you want to provide it to me? Um, so right, right at this point, thank you, Paul, by the way, Really appreciate your share, um, and what we're going to do is is we're going to start to gather up the the questions, um, and I have one from online here. Um, I also have a another quick reading I'm going to do while we're starting to do that. But first, I I will take the question from online. Um, it says, um, "Do you ever feel you're surrendering your?" Res- do you ever feel you're surrendering your resentments is self-fooling? That is, that you are simply going through the motions of saying you are giving up the resentment when you intend to hold on to the resentment for the long haul. Um, I am so glad that person asked that because, you know, I've always, I personally have always wanted to, and I still may do this, get a T-shirt that says, just don't piss all of us off. It won't end well for you. Because uh, there's many of me in here. <laughs> and I want you to know, there wasn't very many of us that really wanted to do step four. There was only a couple, and it was the, at least the leader was one of them. So I got through it finally. But I had to win him over. It took me two years. So, yeah, I get this question. Um, you can fool yourself if you want. I'm going to let you do that. But I'm going to make a deal with you first, if I'm your sponsor. I'm going to ask you, give me a gentleman's agreement. You're not going to leave the program. And someone will keep that. Someone won't. And then go ahead and fool yourself. And the reason I do that is because if you want to fool yourself, um, you're going to postpone all this recovery stuff. 
Because you're not letting yourself, you're not giving yourself over, you're not surrendering your will and your life over to the God of your understanding that you found in step two, that you made a deal with in step three. So if you're still fooling yourself, I'm going to invite you to go back and get clear with yourself and your sponsor about what step three really means to you. Because for me, step three means I'm turning my will and my life over to the God of my understanding, who I got clear about in step two. It's going to be his will, not mine. So that doesn't leave any room for me to fool myself, does it? If I'm really serious about that, you know, the home group I was, I've been a part of, and I've just recently moved, and I'm working with a different group. They always close the meeting with a third step prayer. I love that because to me, the third step prayer is the great um, mortgage real estate closing of my will. I'm transferring the keys over and the ownership of my will to God. Now, if, if I have really done that, I won't be fooling myself in step four. I want to let that sink in. So there's another uh, simple spot here I, I want to read um, that's so pertinent to what we're doing here. Um, and, I, and I'm doing this in, in, um, in memory and in, in um, celebration of Scott Redman. I, I was taking myself entirely too seriously uh, at this point in recovery, and my sponsor said, dude, you need to lighten up. I want you to listen to this guy. And the 12 steps with Scott Redmond will take a guy like me and lighten him up. And, and he loves this passage, passage in the big book, and I want to read it. On page 66 it says, It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the price, precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. Oh, no. But with the alcoholic or the sexaholic, whose hope, is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. In fact, we found it is fatal. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the Spirit. The insanity of lust and alcohol returns and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were the person in a bad mood all the time, were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. We turn back to the list, for it held the key to the future, the list being your inventory. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. Again, I've surrendered my will. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered. But how? We could not wish them away any more than we could wish away lust or alcohol. This was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. That's right where I wanted to stop. Because it goes over to the next page and it says this. I wasn't ready for this either. It says, Though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, like ourselves, they were sick too. And then it goes on to say, 
We ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. That concept had never once occurred to me. Why? Because I was so busy hating them. That's the transformational. We call that the four-step prayer. When a person offended us, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. I want you to know, man, before recovery, in my late 30s, I never did that. I never did that, not even once. But as I began to do that, all this started to fall off. So we have another question here I want to talk about for a second. Tell me more about recognizing and dealing with emotions. <coughs> okay. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Sure. So, when I'm in the, in, in the moment, when I get involved in an emotional situation, no, I'm not recognizing it. It's all internal. It's all churning around, churning and burning. And I'm... <coughs> I'm completely absorbed with it and, and you know, want to react. I either want to pull in fearfully or strike out. Um, so the program has taught me that I have to address whatever the emotional issue at the time is and to try to stabilize it, uh, breathe in God, let out me, and, and not react and I have to stop and listen to my higher power. But for me, recognizing the emotional issues is critical because it's, it's always going to drive me to my drug of choice if I don't address it and I don't deal with it. I've just come through, uh, through the program to, to come to recognize when I'm heading into a dangerous situation or when, when something is, is going to be bothering and troubling me. And it, I just have to pause and analyze it and understand it and uh, take some action, uh, call somebody in the program, uh, be silent, uh, pray to my higher power, and just ask, just be silent and listen. I, I have a real hard time uh, being silent and listening uh, or meditating. I, I, I'm very bad at meditating. I maybe can meditate a minute. And when I say meditating, that I mean don't think of anything. Just think of nothing. And I have a real tough time thinking of nothing. Uh, and right now I can maybe do it for a minute. Uh, but I need to pause and let God in. Let my higher power in. And listen. Listen. It's amazing. I, I didn't think it, would, it was true, but when I do stop and listen... 
an idea comes to me. And most of the time, it's a good idea. And so I've just learned over the years that I've been in the program that that's what works for me. Recognize the problem, analyze the situation, analyze my emotional state, and then deal with it. But don't act, don't react to the situation, don't lash out, uh, or don't uh, cower in fear, slink away in fear. And listen to my higher power and, and make a phone call. Lift up that 500-pound telephone and call somebody and, and just share with them. I know they don't, they're not going to have the answer, but just share with them. And a lot of times, some of you recognize this, a lot of times when we talk about it, the answer comes to us. We, we don't need the guy on the, or person on the other uh, end of the line to give us the answer. My higher power gives me the answer. Or I give me the answer. My higher power gives me the answer, really. And, um, but I need to release it. I need to let it go. That's the, that's the key, is to release and let go for me. Okay, we have one more question. I really struggle to do the four-step inventory in my relationship with my ex-wife. Um, I seem to be always, I always seem to always wind up doing her inventory, not mine. <laughs> Any suggestions or thoughts? Okay. Um, well, I, I guess uh, I really struggle doing my four-step inventory on my, my relationship with my ex-wife. Well, I, I would just say that uh, step four is a struggle, period. Uh, and really, I would say uh, you need to get it all down on paper and, and, and talk about it and, and get it out. Um, and you need to deal with your emotional struggle with your ex-wife, anger, fear, whatever they are. Uh, and that's what step four is all about, is to get all the garbage out on the table and deal with it in a controlled way. And uh, I'll ask, uh, Bob will uh, give an answer to that. Th thank you, Paul. That's, that's wonderful stuff. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I get the struggle to do step four um, because I, I really share your, you know, when I was doing my step four, I share your same concern because I, I didn't talk to my sponsor for two weeks and I finally call him. He says, where have you been? You've been doing your step four. Let me tell you where you've been. I'll tell you where you've been because I did the same thing. He says, you've been doing your step four and it's been driving you out of your mind, hasn't it? Because all you're doing is sitting there writing these things out and you're starting to hate on these people again. And now you look at this great big pile of resentments and you're just... You're just overwhelmed by it. He says, that, that's what happens for personalities like us, Bob, when we do step four. He says, you have got to stay in touch with me. You know, of course you're having to reset your sobriety. You know, it's, this, is, this, this is hard work. He says, it's not near as hard work as going back out there. 
You can go do that if you want. That's going to kick your butt a whole lot harder than doing this step four work. So just do it, will you? And stay in touch with me. He says, so here's the thing. It says I really struggle to do my step four because of my, really, you know, this thing about my ex-wife. Um, I'm always doing her inventory. Suggestions or thoughts. So here's my thoughts and suggestions about that. You know what? I That list of stuff that she did that I hate isn't going to change. It is. So let's let's drive a little division into this for a second because I need to do this work, man. And 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 what I was offered was says, hey, package all that thing up into a mental box and set it aside for a minute. Now let's look at what you got to do on your side of the street. We'll get to her in a bit. Put a divisive sense of separation in it for a minute and do your work and just let that sit on the side and get your stuff done and go to your sponsor about it. And talk about, you know, all this stuff that she did. It wasn't until I did that that I was able to actually turn to this part that talks about in the big book. Hey, this person's sick too. Until I packaged it up and set it aside and looked at my side of the street, I couldn't get to the most important point about resentments and surrender and inventory, which is that this person offended us to ourselves. This is a sick person. How can I be helpful? I wasn't getting there. If I'm sitting there hating on them, I won't be helpful. Right? So I had to drive some division in that, so I hope that answers that question. Um, So we're getting down near the end here, I think. Um, How much more time do we have? About four minutes. Um, I got another question I want to talk about. Uh, It says, having deep-seated resentments worked out, surrendered, against my family member, then being triggered by a family member afterwards or repeatedly, do you have suggestions on how to deal with this situation? I do. So we've been talking about um, step four, surrender, and, and, and you know inventories and, and all this whole transformational process of recovery. And I've been kind of maybe coming across and throughout this whole session, um, I'm thinking that this is a big one-time thing you do. Well, by gosh, the first one was certainly a big deal because of what I had to go through. But if you look at step 10, it says, look back over our day and did a fearless inventory of how it went, accounted for the stuff that went well, and looked at what we did wrong only to say, hey, i got to go back and make that right. These inventories, if you're working your program, you're doing them all the time. Because just because you purge through the big one first doesn't mean somebody isn't going to jump back on there. Um, we can't control what people do. So taking an inventory and applying the 12 steps to everything we do is talked about in step 12, too. Carry these principles, right? So, so this whole thing is what we're building is the foundations of an operating system. Uh, you know, it says a design for living. That's the name of the conference. The design for living is saying taking these principles and practicing them in all of our affairs. So, yes, we're talking about an inventory, and the first one is a big darn deal because of how much transformation has to typically happen. It's certainly the amount of transformation that had to happen to me. So, yes, my suggestion is to continually just 12-step this person. I had a guy that uh, bothered me greatly at church because of the way his attitude is. Very similar to this thing that's described in the question. And wisdom in the program said to me, 12-step him, Bob. What am I powerless over? Do I have a guy that's bigger than this problem or not? Do I have a deal with that God or not? What's What do you do? What's it cause me to have happen? 
Who am I talking to about it? What are, do I have a character defect here? What is it? Am I going to give that over to God or not? Do I have an amends to make? I should make it. What am I doing today? What did I do right? What did I do wrong? Oh, I did something wrong? Well, I broke something? Let me go fix it. Let me get conscious contact with God. How do I carry the message? How do I practice these principles? And when I applied that train of thought to him, the whole thing vanished. And that, see how fast that took me? You got somebody that's bugging you? 12-step them. You can even do it silently. See if it doesn't change it. It certainly does for me. So um, let me see. What are the sounds people make when I am trying to? Yeah, here's a good one. I have, I have uh, and get resentments over the sounds people make when I am trying to um, focus and listen. Um, throat clearing, editing, like me, because I got back out of a cold, you know, and so I'm over here. Huh? So, yeah, I'm going to wrap this up and say I get that. I'm, I'm hypersensitive to that stuff. So these are some more things to surrender. So at the end, um, we're at a point of closing. If you had any other comments? The only thing that I, uh, Paul Sexaholic, the only thing that I would add is um, step four is an ongoing process. For me, it's never ending. I, I keep my step four inventory list and I'm always adding to it all the time. So it, it, it's always a course, for me, it's a course correction every day as to am I heading in the right direction? Am I taking care of the things that I need to do to keep me sober. Thanks. Thank you, Paul. So I just want to offer here that anything that you have heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. So at this point in closing, I would offer that we all stand up and, you know, a circle is going to be pretty impractical. And, and if you want to avoid holding hands because people might have a cold, that's fine. But let's close then with the third step prayer. Okay. Prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me from the bondage of self, that I might better do thy will. Take away my difficulties and have victory over them. May bear witness to those who I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do these always. I will always. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining our session. Thanks, Bob. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, you were great, man. I, I really enjoyed this with you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. a lot of help Yes. Sam, it's so good to meet you. It's very difficult. I know. I'm Detroit. It is. I'm, I'm moving to the west side of Michigan right at the moment. But I'm in we just have to work through it. Uh, not, not worry about perfection. Just uh, progress. Progress through step four. You want to challenge your life? Just, just uh, do the best you can. Uh, don't um, sponsors say to me, "Oh, I'm worried I'm not going to get everything down." And I know. Say, don't worry about not getting everything down. Just get down what you know, what you can think about today, and uh, it'll all work. <coughs>
I'm not a simple dude, but uh, I never left the program. I never completely got it. I'm in a I'm in a job right now where I travel every week, all week. I'm only home on weekends. And oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. What's that? That was very beneficial for me. Oh, good. Yeah. So you don't have to. So I, I would, I wouldn't be available for you properly. That's my problem. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.